Hello and welcome back to Whole and Complete Podcast. I'm Dr. Shantae and this is the podcast that's all about loving God, living well, giving you the resources that are necessary to live a whole and complete life. And so we are continuing the Origin Story series and I am excited to bring our next guest into this conversation. So I'm bringing Penny Miller. Penny is a licensed psychotherapist and transformational life coach out of the DC area. In full disclosure, she and I actually met a few years ago at a faith summit that I was hosting. And we have been cool ever since. She's my friend, she's my soror. Don't feel like I'm biased and I'm only bringing AKAs on the show. That's not what's happening. Um, but it just so happens to be like that. And she was a mentee of mine in my mentoring coaching program the 12 a couple of years ago and just the bonds that came out of that group have been phenomenal and so i'm so excited to loop back around and bring her into this conversation to help all of our listeners live whole and complete lives so penny welcome to the show thank you thank you for having me so you had an opportunity to listen to the origin story series and and you know where i'm going with this conversation so i think that's where i want to start you know our listeners know where you left off and listeners if you are hearing this episode for the first time this is part three of a three-part series and so make sure that you go back and listen to parts one and two but in the end of part two episode i said you know the next voice that we would hear from is Penny's voice because she's such a phenomenal facilitator in this area dealing with issues that affect our communication and our relationships and our lives and so i would love for you to just kind of weigh in on some of the things that we talked about in that episode Wow. Well, I really loved the episode and it made me think a lot about some of the generational things that happen in families as it relates to how we communicate with each other or lack of communication. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that really stood out to me was the suffering in silence, where you talked about the Seeley syndrome yeah. and how with Seeley being in that environment, she was told, you better not tell nobody, you know, this would kill your mom. And so with that, putting guilt, putting shame on her, but most importantly, she didn't even recognize that that was dysfunction. And so as I was listening to that, it just made me think about families, family systems, but what consists of a dysfunctional family? And so when I think about a dysfunctional family, I'm thinking about a family that has issues with conflict, neglect, misbehavior, which were all seen in the Seeley syndrome, but most importantly, she had no emotional support, which is a characteristic of a dysfunctional family. And when you think about having no emotional support in a dysfunctional family, that's when there's no space provided for children to express their emotions clearly and in a positive manner. And typically those children grow up lonely and isolated from their parents and removed from a lot of situations. I'm so glad that you said that because it, when you grow up with Seeley syndrome, it becomes so easy to shut down. You know, you become used to not getting what you need emotionally, or you start thinking that you're a burden. And so I know so mm -hmm. many people that have issues, that have struggles, that have problems, and they never disclose, they never think that it's appropriate, you know, because they were not raised to be able to express themselves positively in that way. It's actually funny because today at work, 
we had a facilitator come in and talk about some of the issues that students struggle with and things that make it difficult for them to focus in class because they only have so much bandwidth. And a lot mm -hmm. of times that bandwidth is eaten up by other things. And I was surprised that we did this, but we actually did the ACEs, so the Adverse Childhood Experiences survey, those 10 questions, we actually did that at work <laughs> with my with faculty and staff. And afterwards, we there was no names, we balled it up, and we threw them all into like a basket. And so then they got shuffled around and we pulled out one of the, the pieces of paper, obviously not our own. And so as the facilitator read off those 10 things about abuse, about neglect, about not feeling loved or not feeling supported or just all kinds of traumas, I was so shocked. And I know I shouldn't have been, but I was so shocked. She said, if, if I read this off, you need to stand up at how many people in that room were standing up. And I'm thinking like, wow, I go wow. to work with these people every single day, but mm -hmm. there is no room, you know, to express that. And in our culture specifically, you can be thought of or looked upon as weak if you open up and start to share and disclose, you know, some of the things that you're going through because people are not comfortable with that because they haven't been able to resolve their own issues. Wow, that's amazing that you all were able to do an exercise like that at work. Um, and then tomorrow, nobody's going to be looking at each other in the eye. No, I'm kidding. But <laughs> <laughs> well, wow, I mean, that's just amazing within itself because life, everyone has life experiences. But, you know, as you talk about these adverse childhood experiences, these are these experiences that are happening from zero to age 17 which can have a long-term effect on us as we become adults, especially if they're not addressed. And so these are typically conversations we're not having in regards to things that can impact your psychological and emotional health, but they have the long-term effects like anxiety, obesity, depression, even having suicidal ideation. But the one thing I am happy about is that now the conversation is shifting and our culture is more open to having these conversations to where, like you said before, you were shut down or shamed or you, you really didn't talk about stuff like that because one of the um, sayings was what happens in our house stays in our house. Um, especially in African-American culture, but we're learning a lot of things that happened in the house. They didn't necessarily stay in the house. They were coming out in, in many different ways. And just because you didn't talk about it didn't necessarily mean that it didn't impact you, not only as a child, but also as an adult. Which is where I want to pivot, you know, so you recently posted something on social media, something asking people, how many of you grew up in a household where your parents or your caregivers were like, stay out of grown folks conversations, you know, uh -huh. and that made me think about not only stay out of grown folks conversations, but children should be seen and not heard. So can you speak to that? What are kind of some of those long stem effects of being raised in a household where you're not allowed to really vocalize because that was exactly Seely's situation? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there are a lot of long-term effects that come with that. I'm going to give about nine things. So one of those. Okay, y'all, get, get a pen and paper. Get, <laughs> get yourself together. All right, go ahead. So the nine things that I'm going to provide you with, these are the effects of growing up in a dysfunctional family. So again, a family where there's conflict, neglect, misbehavior, and it's constant. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that you can see an effect from growing up in a dysfunctional family is that that person will have um, poor self-image or have lack of self-confidence. Mm -hmm. um, additionally, they find it difficult to form healthy adult relationships. 
or they're shy and they ha may have some personality issues. Additionally, they may get angry frequently and easily, and they may prefer to be isolated. Also, their studies or their performance, they may not perform as well. So this can show up whether they are in school, so you'll see low work school performance, but additionally, work performance. You'll also see in some individuals self-harm or self-destructive behaviors. These individuals are also prone to addiction, to alcohol, drugs, or smoking. And additionally, they can suffer from mental health issues like suicidal ideation, depression, anxiety, paranoia, and even sleep difficulty. Some people that grew up in a dysfunctional family, they may not have the discipline or they may not have had the appropriate role models to look up to. Um, and so as a result, some of those developmental milestones may not have been reached, so they can appear to be irresponsible or destructive. And lastly, they can also lose their childlike quality or childlike innocence. So growing up in families such as this, those children have to take on major responsibilities at an earlier age than normal. Ooh, you just said a mouthful. So let's let's try to unpack some of this because I think a lot of what you said is very relatable. And listeners, as you're listening, as soon as she said nine things, you guys are like, uh-oh, let me see if I'm gonna find myself on this list. And so <laughs> let, let me just say this. As you listen to this podcast, listeners, you are not alone. If this any of this is ringing your bell, you are, it's, it's a me too, okay, era, okay? So it's not just that everybody grew up in these Brady Bunch, you know, perfect television family households. Most of us did not grow up in those types of households. And what I want to address in this platform and through this show and by bringing other voices into this conversation is that this is not normal. Mm -hmm. What Penny articulated, so in the first episode in the origin story series, I defined a dysfunctional family. Penny just confirmed that, but now she's talking about, and here's what happens as a result of that. And so I want to look at some of these things on the list, uh, specific and working backwards, looking at this loss of innocence and this notion of quote unquote, growing up too quickly. Many of us are kind of, have not really had the opportunity to grieve the loss of our childhood as a parent. And I look at my daughter right now and I'm like, oh, wow, she still is into scrunchies. Oh, wow, she's still into some of her stuffed animals. And she still has those childlike qualities that are, are appropriate for someone her age. But for many of us, by the time we hit sixth grade, middle school, that those delusions were, were long gone because we had to take care of children that we didn't have, or, you know, we had to get ourselves food on the table or, or get ourselves lunch and, and we had to take care of ourselves. And so can you talk about what that kind of does to you in adulthood, how that manifests itself in our relationships when we feel like we don't have anybody to depend on because we're the ones that had to grow up and be the end all be all in the family? Oh yeah. So definitely it puts you in survival mode. Again, not thriving, not living, but doing the best you can. Um, so think about, you know, not having an emotional support. What does that look like? Not having space to communicate how you feel, not even having space to communicate whether you have feelings or not. And so in thinking about that, you have to think about, okay, even though that behavior served me during that period of time where I had to survive, 
part of the healing process is pausing and taking a look at the now, one, being aware of what these behaviors are, but two, looking at, is this behavior a behavior that's serving me? Yes, it helped me back then whenever I was in survival mode, but now I do have a voice. Recognizing that you are an adult and you do have a voice and you do have supportive people out there. But then the other piece of it is, making a conscious decision to reach out to those supports because, you know, the strong black man or the strong black woman, there's a lot of pride in having that statement. That is so over. That is so over. (laughs) It's over. And I wish, oh my God, I wish I had a dollar for every person that has sat in my chair and that has said that, you know, I'm the strong one and tears are falling down their eyes. But it's time to change the conversation. Being strong doesn't mean handling everything on your own. Being strong means recognizing the supports that you have and leveraging those resources and knowing that you don't have to, you can live, you don't have to survive. You can live and you can thrive by sharing some of this load that you have on your plate with others. You don't have to do it alone. You are not alone. First of all, that's, that's, truth right there y'all but i want to that's a great segue into a very real concrete question so here we are we're the generation that's talking about mental health and anxiety and things that were just not discussed when we were coming up in our families and so this reminds me of that allegory of the cave where there were these men chained up in the cave and all they could see were the shadows on the wall. And then one of them, their chains were loosened and they wandered out of the cave and all of these things, they started like, oh my gosh, like these things are real and there's so much happening here. Like there's so much more to life outside of the cave. And when he went back to tell the other people that were chained up, they were so hostile. They were like, uh-uh, I don't know what you're talking about because all they knew were the shadows on the wall, whereas the person that was out of the cave, he had seen so much more. And I kind of feel like that's where this generation is. We're the ones that are out of the cave and we're making these new discoveries and we're trying to push for this best version of ourselves, aligning the spiritual and the emotional and the mental health. But our families are not there yet. Many of Mm -hmm. our families are not there yet. They're the ones that are still in the cave, that are watching the shadows. And this is not their reality. They are still very much wrestling with the Sealy syndrome. So what do you say to somebody who's come out of the cave of suffering in silence, who's come out of the cave of sucking it up and soldiering on, and they're not divorced from their families. And so what do you say to that person that they might have seen the light, but their families are still in the dark? What do you, how do you address that? That is definitely an important conversation because healing Healing, first of all, is a choice. You know, to make a decision to grow, that is a conscious decision. Time does not heal all wounds. And just because one makes a decision to heal, it doesn't mean that their environment is going to change, nor the people within their family systems are going to change. So with that, it's a lot of management of expectations, management of your personal expectations on them. Just because you've gone through the the process of healing and you're seeing things from a different perspective and you're being reflective, just being aware that others are not there yet 
and that's okay. But it's also important too to just recognize your personal triggers because if you're in a situation with a family member or just there's something within that family unit that is triggering for you, it's really important to develop some boundaries and to be proactive as opposed to being reactive. You know, I saw an article where this young lady wrote that even for holidays, she goes and visits the family for the holidays, but she puts a boundary in place by staying in a hotel. Clearly she could stay in the household, but she has that self-awareness to recognize that everyone in the household is not where she is. So she enjoys her time while she's there, but also recognizes that she needs her time and space away from the family to continue her process of healing. So you just really have to be aware of yourself first, where you are, where you are in your process of healing, but also acknowledge others and where they are, but manage your expectations just because you are on a journey of bettering yourself and and healing other people may not be there and that's okay that's where they are but no one recognize what your personal triggers are too so that you can take care of yourself from a psychological and emotional level girl if you had an offering plate i would throw some money dollars right <laughs> on in it because you just preached the whole word right there Management of expectations, <laughs> that is what it is. I remember this from the Brandon from Believers days when I would talk about just because you wrote a book, don't expect your family to be the first people in line to buy the 20 copies. If that's not your target audience, then you have to manage your expectations. Family has a role to play, but your target audience has a different role. And so what Penny is saying is right on the money. Sometimes when we come to these places of enlightenment and we're like, oh, we're excited and you know we're on the journey, well, that's that's a path that you are walking that's the path that you've chosen to walk but not everybody is going to be ready to make that choice and i love what you said about the setting boundaries and being proactive because the situation you described booking a hotel reservation when you could stay with the family it takes courage to do that because chances are somebody's going to feel some kind of way oh you couldn't come here oh what what, what? you think you're too good or that sort of thing you know sometimes <laughs> that sort of negative negativity comes with the territory yeah. and so many of us find ourselves sucking it up soldiering on or numbing out like okay pour me another glass of ripple do people still drink ripple i don't you know, I don't know. I just remember that from Sarah and son you know just pour me another glass of wine <laughs> or what have you so that they can tolerate it so that they can kind of numb out and not really have to be a part of that dynamic so that they're there but they're really not there and also i love what you said about recognizing your triggers who are the people in the family or what are the topics in the family or once things get to a certain level in the holiday gatherings and things like that, it's like, okay, this is the part where I need to excuse myself and make a polite exit. And all of that takes courage. But as Penny said, all of that is a choice. We have to get to a point in our adult journey where life isn't quote unquote happening to us, that we actually begin to take some agency and what is happening in our lives that it's not this oh woe is me victimization but no i'm actually going to be a responsible facilitator in what happens next in the chapter of my life and that's that's kind of where i left the last episode that we may have started as sealies but we could end up as shugs right 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So that's that's one of the things that is really interesting about life and how life events are happening to us all, but they all affect us differently. But as an adult, you do have the choice to choose. You know, your wound is not your fault. Your wound, the thing that someone did to you that caused you harm, that's not your fault. But healing, that is your responsibility if you consciously make that choice. That is your responsibility. But it also takes time and you cannot skip steps as you go through the healing process. It's more than an affirmation. It's more than a post. It really requires you to sit with yourself and maybe sit with someone that doesn't know you, doesn't know anything about your situation, but can give you some sound counsel to help you manage your life stressors or whatever it is you may be going through. And something else that I don't want to lose. So when you listed out those nine things, one of the things that you mentioned, I think it was maybe number two on the list was this inability to form healthy adult relationships. And so how would you describe or define a healthy adult relationship? Because again, when you come up in a situation where you think dysfunction is normal, I've had people that were dating a new guy after being in a bad relationship and have come to me and said, I don't know, things are just things are going too well. Like it's just things are just too smooth. Like it don't feel right. Like it doesn't feel right to wow. not be arguing. It doesn't feel right to not feel like you have to scroll through social media accounts and look at for every comment and clues and things like that. It didn't feel right to be in a healthy functioning relationship. So can you describe what you think that looks like? So yes, yeah, so a healthy, a functional relationship or a functional family relationship, that is a relationship where family members encourage one another. They optimize growth. They provide a safe space for emotional well-being. And that's in relationships that are romantic, platonic. Those are the relationships where you can be your authentic self and not feel like you're being judged and have a say. So have an opinion or have a difference in opinion and it'd be okay. Not starting an argument or some type of conflict. But healthy relationships are normal. And for anyone that has been in a dysfunctional relationship, it may feel abnormal to be with someone that mutually respects you. They respect your opinion. Everything is, is not a fight, but it'll take time because you have to think about, you know, how many years were you in dysfunctional relationships? <laughs> you know, whether it be family or romantic, how many years were you in that? And so now going into a healthy relationship, it's going to feel a little bit different, but it is absolutely possible. And so whenever individuals in those dysfunctional relationships are not able to form healthy relationships, sometimes it's because they did not develop those emotions to have healthy communication when they were children. You're at the table, you're in the room, but be seen and not heard. So in that moment, you're shut down. But long term, if you're not able to communicate with others, your true feelings or communicate with adults, then the long term effects of that is that you're not going to know how to healthily communicate, which means asserting yourself, you know, saying I'm okay with this or saying I'm not okay with this. Or you may be dependent, dependent on someone else's thoughts or dependent on someone else's opinion because you're not confident within your own self. Because guess what? You don't know what you think. Because in survival mode, you, have, you had to go to the majority in order to survive. So there are a lot of different impacts that come from coming from a dysfunctional family and, and not knowing how to communicate as an adult. But 
the good news is, is that healthy relationships can happen, but it just will take time. And if it feels a little funny, that's okay, because you have to remember it was a long period of time where you were in a dysfunctional relationship. Does that make sense? That makes total perfect sense. And listeners, and I don't know what your your marital status is, whether you're single, whether you're dating, whether you're married or divorced or what have you. But one thing that I would take away from what Penny just said is that we have to learn how to make peace with peace. We have to learn how to sit in peace. When you are coming out of a chaotic lifestyle or a chaotic childhood, and that's what you're used to, you're used to ramping up, you're used to, to arguing, you're used to being scrappy because that's how you handle conflict and family. And you're trying to heal from all of that. Peace can seem so foreign to you. Peace can be like, well, you know, it's almost kind of like when you grew up in a noisy neighborhood and then you go out to the countryside, it's like, it's too quiet. You know, it's, it's, it's not enough noise. It's not enough. No, it, we have to learn how to make peace with peace before we go secure a partner or expect healthy relationships, even in friendships and, and non-dating relationships. Because if we're always looking for conflict, if we're always waiting for the other shoe to drop, then inevitably we're going to do something or say something that's going to trigger dysfunction in that relationship. And that person or the people get blindsided because they don't know where you're coming from or what you've been through or what you've experienced. And they don't know why things are suddenly so chaotic because we haven't taken time to make peace with peace. Does that make sense? Most definitely. So parting words, because I don't want to hold you long. We literally could talk about this all day. And just, <laughs> just like we're Christian, this is not going to be, actually Christian and Penny know one another. Ironically, uh -huh. I'm pulling all these East Coasters from, <laughs> for the podcast. It's because they both live in that DMV area. And so parting words for our listeners in terms of, you might've started in a dysfunctional family, but you don't have to stay there. So what are some steps or some advice or just some tangible things that you can give our listeners to begin to move away from that or at least be able to confront some of those demons in a healthy way? One thing that I would say is to listen to your own personal feelings. I think it's important, especially if you grew up in an environment that was dysfunctional or environment that you did not receive a lot of emotional support or you didn't have a voice or you weren't heard, that it's easy to dismiss your own personal feelings. But one of the greatest gifts that we have is to listen to our own personal feelings because that guides us throughout life. You know, what you feel is valid. Um, additionally, I would say it's okay to not be okay. I'm a listener. And so one of the things that I've been hearing or that I hear a lot is I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. But then when I check in again, you're not really good. That was just the, the automatic response. But just know that it's okay to not be okay. Emotions are there for a reason. They guide us. There's no such thing as a negative emotion. And if you're not okay, be okay. Sit with that. Emotions are a spectrum. And then lastly, I would say seek help if needed. I know within the African-American community, a lot of times we lean on spirituality and there's the saying, you know, just pray about it. You can pray about it, but I also believe that faith without works is dead. Yeah. And, then also, and then you also gave a message. What did you say? Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Yeah. So 
just like if you had high blood pressure or if you got in a motor vehicle accident or if you had the flu, you would go to the doctor, you would go get checked out. Know that your emotions require that same level of attention. So time does not heal all wounds. And if you're wounded from an emotional standpoint, know that there are counselors, there are people that are licensed, that are trained, and that they are ready to have the conversation whenever you are ready. Talking to someone doesn't mean that you're crazy, doesn't mean that something's wrong with you. But what it does mean is that you have made a conscious decision to leverage the support. And especially if you grew up and you didn't have the support, you're using wisdom. You're using wisdom to do something differently. And that is absolutely okay. It's just like the lottery. You can't win if you don't play. <laughs> you know, you, you cannot win and kind of regain your emotional health and your mental health and your spiritual health if you're not willing to engage and, and do that work. And so, Penny, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. But I want people to be able to find you and to get the benefit of knowing you the way that I know you and your resources and your vast knowledge. <laughs> so where can people find you on social media? On social media. So you can find me on Instagram at I am Penny Miller. But then you can also find me. My website is I am Penny Miller.com. I love it. And you guys make sure that you check her out. One of the things that I always get after one of these episodes or after one of the series is, can you refer me to a therapist? Can you make a referral? Do you know somebody? And I can tell you, and Penny can tell you, the harvest is great, but the labor is a few. Now that more and more of us are starting to reach out, there are waiting lists, you know, for counselors and social workers and therapists and things like that. But don't let that discourage you. A lot of what we put out here is is free therapy. You know, it's free 99. And so <laughs> take advantage of, of what's available here and now of, of book recommendations and things like that and begin that process just because you don't have the time or the bandwidth or the resources to hire a therapist right now doesn't mean that there isn't an abundance of information that's already out there that you can leverage as penny said leverage those resources to facilitate the healing process so penny thank you so much go show her some thank love thank you thank you for I having am, me yes go show her some love at i am penny miller and if you guys have any questions comments takeaways you know you can always hit me up at dr shante says on twitter on instagram and i will be opening up the vault again for hope and healing sessions and so if you want to connect over things like Sealy syndrome you just go to readytobelieve.com and we can absolutely make that happen and i'll see you guys next time